find Romans 12. Several years ago when I was back up in the Northwest, uh, hanging out with our family, uh, right before we went back that final night, uh, my brothers and I were looking at photo albums, okay? My mom and dad in their basement, they got all these chronologically lined up photo albums. We start pulling them out and it's just downright funny, okay? And I'm really glad they're about 2,000 miles away because you could use that as blackmail against me, all right? So they're a long ways away and you don't know my parents' address, so don't even worry about trying to find out just how weird I looked back then, all right? I've, hopefully I've improved, but I don't know. So anyway, so we were looking at that. It was really interesting. You see so much development. I mean, you see physical development. You see like a like little babies, and the next thing you know, they're crawling and walking and toddling and broken arms and all those sort of things. And you see them growing intellectually. You see like maybe a graduation, like, wow, hopefully you've learned something along the way. You see social development, and, and you would expect that. I mean, that is kind of the natural progression, isn't it? That when you start with birth, you expect that there's going to be growth in all these different areas. In fact, if development isn't taking place, Physically or intellectually or socially, we, we say, hey, wait, this isn't quite right. We, we need to address that. We'll start bringing in specialists and doctors. We're going to try to figure out what, what's going on because this child isn't following the normal natural pattern of development. You know, the same is true spiritually. If you really don't want to play games and you're looking for genuine relationship with the living God, that's actually only found by you and I trusting personally in Jesus Christ as Savior from our sins and as the Lord of our life, recognizing his deity and his rightful rule in our lives. The people that do that is what's called a new birth. And just like a baby has a natural progression, so it is with those of us spiritually. When we truly enter into a relationship with God, we are to start to grow and develop. And the wonders of of being a Christian is that God actually transforms us from the inside out. He changes us from within and this life that we have in Christ, whom we're united with, who actually dwells in our hearts by faith, that starts to be getting manifest in our life. It starts to be lived out. But the big question is, how do we truly live a transformed life? I mean, how does that really happen? That's why we've been spending all these weeks looking at the book of Romans. Because the overall theme of Romans is the transforming, transforming power of trusting in Christ and his gospel. And if you can remember six words, you could actually remember the entire outline for this amazing book. First, remember, is exaltation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, where you're actually looking at the glory of Christ and this gospel. The second, beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through 320, is condemnation, where we see that humanity has sinned and turned from God as living self-centered, uh, not a God-occupied life. All of that is sin. And it can get pretty ugly and, and, and out there. I mean, the most heinous of sins is all indicative of a heart that isn't truly oriented toward God, not trusting Him. And there's a condemnation because the wages of sin is death. That brings us to chapter 3, 21, chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through the end of chapter 5 where you have justification. God doesn't leave us in our sin. He actually sends the Savior that he's paid the penalty for our sins. He's lived a completely righteous life. If you and I will believe in him, we can be justified, literally declared right. God gives us a brand new status as those who are trusting in Christ. And that's what you see in chapters at the end of 3, 4, and 5. When you get to 6, 7, and 8, you have sanctification, where we see the reality 
of what does it mean to be set apart to Christ and his gospel. And then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, the section we just got, got done going through, you see that God is faithful to his promises that he has made to Israel. In fact, he is so faithful that he is assured to tell us that God will, he is going to actually redeem some of his people Israel. In fact, it could be said that all of Israel will be saved because there will be a representative people, just like there always has been, that will experience the fullness of blessings in Christ. And that leads us then to chapter 12 through the rest of this book. The key word, transformation. It is the developing lifestyle that comes from knowing Christ and his gospel. And you need to know that the good news of Christianity isn't just that you are saved from your sins, but that God really wants to transform every aspect of your life. In fact, the gospel hasn't really had its full way in you unless transformation is starting and there's this ongoing process in your life. And that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 are so important. Tra- these two verses are like the seed of transformation and they're planted in the soil of a believing, trusting, willing heart and they literally will grow and flourish They're like an atom that harnesses tremendous energy. That is why we're going to spend two weeks looking at these two verses. If you do not have a strong working knowledge of these two verses, if this is not in play in your life, spiritual transformation is going to be rough, very discouraging, sometimes disorienting, because you're not understanding how it actually is intended, how God intended transformation to take place. That's why we're looking at it. This is like turning on the ignition to your car. So let's look at this verse, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So he begins with the word, therefore. Every time you see that word, you ask, what is therefore, therefore? And he's saying, in light of everything that's been covered for the first 11 chapters... On, on that basis, there is to be a response in our life. And if you want to actually see the culmination of that in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 36, he actually tells you what is the purpose of life and of all things that you and I see and even unseen. It is, why did God create all things? Verse 36, for from him, through him, and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Your life ultimately isn't about you. It is about God and exalting him and to enjoy him and to know him. You and I exist for his glory. And if you don't understand that, then you're living at a horizontal level and life simply doesn't work because that's not how it's designed. And so he says, therefore, on this basis, in light of all that God has done, I urge you, which is stronger than ask, but it's, it's a little bit less than a command or an imperative. He says, this is what you're to do. I urge you, brethren, speaking both individually, but it's a family term, all of you, I, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I am asking you to do something. What are the mercies of God? Well, they're the multitude of blessings we have because of our relationship with Christ. It's what he's outlined in the first 11 chapters. And just think of just some of the significant changes that God has brought about in your life because you're actually believing in Christ. For instance, there was justification, which you have a change of state. 
You have a new standing before God. You've got identification. You've got a brand new identity. You're no longer in your sin, but God never sees you in your sin. He sees you united with Christ. You're forgiven. You're free. You're one of His. You have repentance, which is a change of mind. You actually now see God for who he is, and that leads to actually regeneration, a change of nature. This is what's fascinating about Christianity. God doesn't give you a code of ethics or call you to a certain particular moral life. He literally changes you from the inside out because he gives you a new nature. It's regeneration. You have a new heart from God. There is conversion, which is a change of life. You've got a completely, you've gone from death to life. You have adoption. You've got a change of family. You have sanctification. You're now set apart to God. You have a change of service, and that leads ultimately to glorification, where you have a completely changed eternity, a new state, a new condition from God. And it's on this basis that we are motivated to give our lives to the Lord fully. But it's not only motivation. But do you see this? He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, These mercies are not not only motivation, they are also the means by which we experience transformation. It's God working in you. It is the relationship that you have with Christ that he brings about transformation. And this is so critical. What happens is we kind of breeze through these first few words, but if you don't actually dwell upon God's mercies, then transformation isn't going to work as God intended. It's kind of like this. Uh, years ago, I was coming off of 84, and I was going to merge onto 6. You know that gas station that they have there? And there was obviously some sort of problem because traffic was getting backed up, and I noticed that there was this car that was stalled, and I could tell that there was a lady there, and she was not happy and having, having a bad day. And so I don't know what overcame me, but I think I'm going to get out of my car and see if I can help, which is a bad situation because, A, I'm not a medic, and I'm definitely not a mechanic, okay? So I don't really know how much use I will be, but I, I make my way, and people are honking and, you know, just being, like, really nice to this lady. She's having a terrible day, and, and so I, I get up there, and she looks at me and goes, the car won't start! And I'm like, okay, and I'm thinking, now what do I do? I, I could pray. I mean, that's about all I'm good for. And uh, so she's looking at me, and I'm like, what, I, what am I thinking I was going to do here? So I remember I had this situation once where, I tried to start my car, but it was, it was not in park. It was in drive, and of course it didn't start. But, you know, two hours later, I figured that out, and I, and I changed it. No, it didn't. You guys actually believe it. How does it make sense? It takes them about two hours to figure something. No, I, it, was, it was shorter than that. And so I, oh, this illustration's not working here. Okay. I, I said, well, ma'am, is the car in park? And she takes that gear shift, whoosh, and then she, and she turns it over, and she looks at me, and like, ah, you know, like, and she's like, whoa, and she's so happy, and she literally takes off, you know, and she's, because she's been the source of problems, and I'm standing there, and I felt so good. I had finally been useful in my life, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I actually did something. I think I took the rest of the week off. I was like, Karina, I did something finally, okay? I see progress happening. It was, the problem was that she couldn't start her car. She hadn't approached it right. And friends, Transformation begins with focusing on the mercies of God, who he is. You need to take time each day to think of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he said, what he's accomplished on your behalf, the things that we just talked about. You have to actually begin your day thinking of his mercies. That's how transformation takes place. He's our motivation. He's also our means. 
And so not only do we do this, we dwell upon God's mercies, but notice what he said. If you're going to have transformation, you not only dwell on God's mercies, but you dedicate yourself to God's purposes. Do you see what he said, verse 12, verse 1 in chapter 12? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That word present, uh, it was often used as a technical term to represent a person bringing an offering or a sacrifice to God. Grain, animal, they would bring it to God That is what he's saying. We present our bodies. When we hear the word body, we think, oh, just this carcass of flesh. Actually, to refer to a body was to refer to everything everything in an organism in its entirety. That means not only who you are physically, but your mind, your emotion, desires, will. Everything about you, he says, you present your bodies, and you do so in a particular way that is both living and holy. It's, this is what's acceptable to God. Now, sacrifices. We're not so familiar with sacrifices, are we? But let me tell you that the people that Paul was writing to, and certainly the Jewish people, but really almost everyone in the ancient world was familiar with sacrifices. And what you would do is you'd bring an animal and, or grain, and they'd bring this animal. The animal was alive when they brought it, but they'd bring it like in Judaism— just as God prescribed, and the priest would have a particular ritual way where they would kill that animal, they would manipulate its blood, and they would either sacrifice some of it on the altar or all of it. And they were very familiar with bringing sacrifices. Now, you and I, we're, we're not so familiar with sacrifices. And with the, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament that God prescribed, they all were pointing to the perfect sacrifice, a innocent perfect, righteous, unblemished lamb, the lamb of God, Christ himself, who would literally be our sacrifice for our sins. The once for all perfect sacrifice. The book of Hebrews makes a major emphasis on this. And because Christ is the perfect final sacrifice, there is no longer need for sacrifices because God has made them in Christ. However, I do want to tell you this. There is a New Testament sacrifice that is to be made. And I'd just like to ask, have you made it? Are you making it? And you're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? I thought you just said there aren't any more sacrifices to be made. Actually, the sacrifices that God is looking for are the ones you find in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You want to present all of you Alive, like Arrhenius, the early church father said, the glory of God is man fully alive. You present everything that you are as a living sacrifice to God. Now, when we hear the word sacrifice, if I said, hey, we're here and we're going to make a sacrifice, or you tell your kids, I, I sacrificed and I did this for you. What do we usually mean? Well, I gave something up and I did it really reluctantly, but I want you to know that I made a sacrifice to make this happen. Do you guys ever pull that one on your kids? Okay, yes. Oh, yes, I can tell you did. I'm not alone. We have the idea that you give something up, you really didn't want to, and you're pretty reluctant. That's actually not what's entailed with a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something not that you give up, but literally you will give it up, your life. 
You don't give up your life like, okay, God, here it is. I really don't want to do this. Bad idea. No, you give it up and you do so joyfully with the idea that you're presenting your life to the living God. This is the exact opposite of taking your life. Okay, you need to realize that God is asking you to bring the fullness of who you are all of your life, your mind, what you think, your body, everything about you, and to give it fully to God. That's what he's calling for. No matter how bad you feel, what you think you've done, how, how just evil you've been, you still just present all of who you are to the living God. And you do so as a living and holy sacrifice. So when you see the word uh, holy, that actually means to be set apart. Your life is literally set apart to God. And this is an act that begins at some point in your life, okay? At some point in your life, you realize, I, I want to not hold back. I want to give you all things. I'm going to do this. It's kind of like uh, I was at a wedding last night. And there you go. You got the bride and the groom. And you know what they do? They actually pledge themselves, for better or worse, till death do us part, right? Remember that? And so that's what they do. And so the couple, they got married last night. Are they still married like today? Well, last I heard, they still are, okay? We're off to a great start. But it's meant to be a lifetime. There is, there is a point where, yes, you're married, but there is an ongoing recalibration. You go through difficulties. There is always a renewal, right? Every marriage goes through difficulties in times of real testing, right? Trouble, hardship, difficulties. And those words, that which you promised, is going to be tested, right? But you stay together because you made a vow. There's a commitment there. And so it is with God. We have an ongoing recalibration that takes place with our lives. We, we continually see our lives as a, an acceptable, holy sacrifice to God. And that's exactly what he's saying there. He, he says, it is, no, this is something that's really interesting. When he says it is acceptable to God, it means it's well-pleasing to God. You actually give of yourself, which is your spiritual service of worship. That word spiritual, the, the Greek word there is logikos. It is where we get our word logic. It could be translated this is your logical service of worship. Do you know when someone is logical, it like makes sense, right? And being logical, by the way, is, is really helpful in life. It'll save you a lot of grief just being logical. It makes sense in light of all that God has done for us that we give our lives out of joy. It is also spiritual. It suggests that it's internal. Don't get the idea that you just kind of, well... I'll just reluctantly hand it over, or I'm, my mind's not really in it. But no, it's all of you, and it's a desire to do that. It is logical. It is not you're giving your life to somehow atone for your sins. You actually, in response to the fact that Christ has paid and atoned for your sins, you give yourself to him. You have the right attitude. You're informed. You engage your mind. That means also, by the way, when you're singing worship songs... If you're not engaging your mind, you're not worshiping because true worship is what? It's logikos. It's logic. It's, it's taking theology and truth and putting it to music. God wants you to fully engage everything you are into the exaltation and worship of him. But the problem is we compartmentalize. And this is where Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it directly confronts the Christian culture, especially in America. 
we don't necessarily like to have to, like, the whole idea of giving our whole lives. No, well, how we do it, we have, we have like an area, and it's our faith, or our faith in Jesus, but then there's lots of areas in our life, okay? And we may function very differently in some of those areas. So, for instance, like, here you are this morning, you, you woke up, and you saw that, oh, it was raining. Well, do I go to church or not? But you made it. Even though I know you're real sweet folks and you're afraid that you might melt if rain hits you, but you still made it, okay? And, and here you are, and you sang some worship songs, and perhaps you gave of finances as a sure act of worship to God, and, and you prayed, and maybe you brought in a shoebox, and here you are, you're listening to the Word, and, and you're going to go home from here, and you're going to walk out those doors, and then it's my time, right? I did my church thing, I, kind of my faith thing, but I'm going to shift because... I did that. I'm gonna, I've satisfied that little area in my life. Now it's time to move to other areas. And then, for instance, tomorrow hits, Monday. And you go to your job. And, you know, you got to do, well, run to Rome, you got to do as the Romans do, right? And you operate on a completely different set of principles. In fact, you have a complete different orientation. You'll, you'll do what it takes to get the job done. Um, for instance, there's reports that no one's ever going to dive down too deep, and they're not going to really know if it's truthful or not what you put in there. It's going to work out for your advantage, whatever. You tell people things that are kind of not so true, but it doesn't matter because you know what? That's a different area of your life. Or if you're a student, you realize like, okay, yeah, I'm here, I'm at, at church, worshiping God, yeah, telling God I want your everything, you got my life, but show up at school, that's a whole other thing. It's about getting good grades, Right? And it doesn't really matter how you get them, even if you have to bend some things ethically. Or you see it like, for instance, if you're a single person, you're out on a date, and you operate on a different set of values that basically get you what you want, right? Because after all, in this area of my life, it's all about me and my desires and what I want. And then you even see it like in the area of entertainment, okay? I'll do what I want, how I want it. Good, bad, indifferent. It doesn't really matter. I'm in control. The problem with all of this is that it is what we could call convenient Christianity. It is, you or I, basically seeing our lives as compartmentalized. And God doesn't want your life to be compartmentalized. He actually wants completely all of you, all of your life, everything about you, work, school, how you go about it, decisions you're making, your family, your life. He wants all of us all the time. You know, you guys ever seen the, the Geek Squad? I'm sure you've seen the commercials, and some of you, you have computer problems, you can't get your home stereo system to work quite right, and so you call the Geek Squad, right? And what happens is they show up, and you got these really technologically gifted folks, and they fix everything, right? And you pay them a little bit of money, and you drop them. You never think about the Geek Squad grin, right? Until you have a problem, you're, you're done with them. I got a question. Do you think we might treat God like the Geek Squad, do we? It's really interesting. A guy by the name of C.S. Lewis, I'm sure many of you are familiar with him, he wrote in his autobiography a book called Surprised by Joy. He, he, he wrote of the situation where his, when he was a young boy, his mother was dying. And he had heard in church that if you ask in prayer, by faith, that God will answer. And, uh, you know, his mom died. He, he asked for a miracle, and a, a miracle that didn't happen. And I want, to, I want you to listen to what he wrote. He said, I had approached God, or my idea of God, without love, without awe, even without fear. He was, in my mental picture of this miracle, to appear neither as Savior 
nor as judge, but merely as a magician. And when he had done what was required of him, I supposed he would simply, well, go away. It never crossed my mind that the tremendous contract which I solicited should have any consequence beyond restoring the status quo. Is that how we treat God? Like the geek squad. You show up, you fix it. It's broken. I got pain in my life. I don't like it. I need you to fix it. Or bring me to a place of equilibrium that I can deal with it. And when you're done, I'm done with you. That's not how it's supposed to be. God isn't like this little genie that just shows up on a separate occasions. He wants your life completely oriented around him, and that all gets started with you actually dedicating your life to him. Now, our flesh fights the notion of total devotion. It is, it's like we, we have this built in into our DNA to rebel about the idea that we're going to give ourselves fully to God. I was thinking about this just in my own life. Like, why is it so difficult at times to do this? And I was thinking of other scenarios and people that I know that struggle with this. What makes it so difficult to dedicate our lives in worship to God? Let me give you some. I just jotted down. Like discouraging circumstances. They hit, instead of like, God, I, I need you. I'm giving myself fully to you. No. We pull back in. Distractions. We're caught up with so many other things. Um, here's another one. Disappointments. Don't you find that when you're disappointed with yourself or with God, that there's a retreat? Instead of giving yourself, you pull back. Or there's, here's another one, depression. It just gets so bad, and you just like, I, I, don't, I don't care at all. I don't care about anything anymore. And you hold back. There's the independent mindset, kind of pride. Uh, 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 uh. I'm going to do it on my own. There is the feeling of being overwhelmed. And you just don't give of yourself. Failures. Um, here's another one. A lack of family or friends that actually live this way, that dwell on God's mercies and they've dedicated themselves to God's purposes. If you don't have anybody like that, you don't have any family members, you don't have any friends, we, you know this, that like one of our greatest cultural values is to fit in and to conform. Don't you? You know that, right? And if you don't have anybody in your spheres, if everybody else is living for themselves and you're kind of like the lone ranger out there, what usually happens is bad company corrupts good morals and you just kind of amalgamate in. And the whole idea of giving your life fully to God, that sort of dedication, that doesn't work somewhere. It doesn't work for you because no one else is doing that. And here's another one. If you're, if you're real honest with yourself, you are fearful to think and to live this way. You are afraid that if you give yourself fully to God and say, God, I am giving all of me to you, my job, career, finances, mind, I really, I want to I live totally devoted to you. You are afraid that God is going to destroy your life, right? He is going to ask you to do something that you're going to hate and you're going to be terrible at and you're going to look like a fool all the time and you're afraid that God is going to really twist your life in such a way to just crumble you and your life will be miserable and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that so I'm going to hold in and I'm going to hold back. So what do you do when you feel this way? Well, you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and you dwell upon God's mercies, and you then dedicate yourself to God's purposes. Have you heard of this guy by the name of Nick Vujicic? Uh, this pretty amazing guy, the man has literally thousands 
and thousands of people that he's spoke to and preached to. His ministry has gone global. He's a successful author. He's written numerous books. And it's pretty amazing because this particular individual, Mick, he has no arms or legs. He has a very rare disorder uh, called tetraamelia syndrome where you are, it's characterized by the absence of all four limbs. He has just kind of like a little foot, partial foot, uh, right here where his leg should be, and that's all. And I want to give you a little bit of the, the story behind this. His parents, very devout Christians, sensed that God was calling them to plant a church in Australia, which is kind of like a spiritual wasteland. Very difficult place to plant a church. Trusted God, believed that's what they were supposed to do, and they started planting this church. Eleven months into their little church plant to proclaim the gospel, guess what happens? Nick is born, and all of a sudden they're faced with the reality of, of Nick's situation. It was very difficult for them. They're trying to figure out, like, how could God use this for his good? As hard as it was for their parents, imagine how hard it was for Nick. Oh, my goodness. It was terrible. He'd go to Sunday school, class, go to church. They'd talk about being made in the image of God. He'd look at himself, and it... it, You know how kids can be just so kind, right? Tore him apart. By the time he reached age eight, He really wanted to commit suicide. He just didn't want to be here. Let's fast forward, age 15. He's at church, and they're covering John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, there is this, Jesus and the disciples encounter a man who had been born blind from birth. And the disciples are trying to figure this out. Like, who sinned? Him? Parents? What happened here? Why is he born this way? And listen to what Nick said. This was revolutionized it for, revolutionary for him. It, it answered one of his toughest questions. And he wrote later on, when I read the story of the blind man, Jesus said he was born so that the work of God could be revealed through him. And that gave me peace. I said, Lord, here I am. Use me, mold me, make me the man you want me to be. This is all I got. And if that's what you're after, my life is somehow for your glory, then, then I, I'm just going to give everything I've got to you. And it's pretty amazing. Nick learned to write with two toes and a partial foot. Um, he learned how to throw tennis balls, answer the phone, walk, swim, shave, brush his own teeth. He got two degrees, one in accounting and one in financial planning before the age of 21. He became a motivational speaker. He has literally face-to-face interfaced with millions of people. You know the title of his first book, No Arms, No Legs, No Worries. And he's got such a joy. And he, he grips us because he is a picture of a man who just, whatever I got, God, the world says I don't have enough or I'm missing something, but I'm giving everything I've got to you. And just in 2012, he married a beautiful gal. I I listened to an interview that 60 Minutes did on him. Powerful. And now they have their first child. God is calling you to give yourself fully to him. We all have deficiencies. We all got problems. We all got things that we wish were different about us. He knows that. He's created you for his glory, and he is calling you to give everything you have to him. Time, your talents, your mind, your resources, you see yourself dedicated to God. Let me give you two really important questions. These are questions I think a lot about. Lord, 
What does maturity look like in this situation relationship? Give me a picture of what that look like, how to handle this. And then the second question, God, Lord, would you give me the strength, desire, and grace to live that way? What would that look like? Lord, would you make that happen? Just give you a few recommendations. You might want to memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2. Develop a few friendships with people that actually live this way. Um, you want to develop patterns personally of worshiping God where you literally see yourself giving yourself to God and publicly. When you come together with others who live this way, it's, it's revolutionary. It's so encouraging. Sometimes I just stop singing in worship and I hear the voices. I'm like, these are people that love you. How awesome. It encourages my faith. And you basically tell the Lord, I live to give myself to you. I heard of the story of a chicken and a pig. They were having a conversation. You know how that happens all the time. And they're looking at their community, walking around. They see all the poverty. And the chicken said, you know, we ought to do something about this. How about we have a ham and egg breakfast? How about we do that? And the pig, whoa, stopped him right there in his tracks. And he told the chicken, you know, for you, that ham and egg breakfast, that, that's a contribution. But for me, it would be a total sacrifice. God is not calling us for a contribution. Romans 12, 1. You want transformation? Is that what you want? It's calling for a total commitment. What do you have to lose? Look at all that you have to gain. And so what happens is you see yourself based upon what God has done. It's not a, like, I have to. It is because you know the love of God and you respond with joy of giving yourself to him. Like Martin Luther, for instance, going back here about 500 years or so, he uh, encountered a guy who was a shoemaker who came up to him and said, hey, I, I, you know, I really, what am I supposed to do with my life? And they, Luther said, hey, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a shoemaker. And this is what he said. Luther said, you know, then this is what you need to do. You need to make, make good shoes and you sell them at a fair price. He didn't tell him to make Christian shoes. He didn't tell him, well, no, you know what you need to do? You need to leave that shoe shop and you need to go and be a monk. Go live out in the desert for 30 years and check in with me. He didn't tell him to do any of that. What he did is he esteemed the value of his work. And you represent Christ where you're at. We had this huge problem where we kind of see the sacred and the secular. And so you're like, I, I have a few things that are really worthwhile, what I do, like at the church. And then everything else, man, I'm slogging it out at work. I'm a student. And that's all secular, and it means nothing. God never called us to bifurcate our understanding of our life. We need to see all of our life as given to him. Your job, by the way, is one of your primary ministries. You need to do it to the glory of God. That's what you're doing you are a worshiper 24-7. Not just you show up on Sunday morning, sing a song or two. No, you worship God with your entire life. Isaac Watts, remember his great hymn? Remember, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, and what? Anybody know what? My all. All of us. Once you understand God's amazing love, you understand this calls for me to give fully of my life. Do it in the small places and the difficult places, right where you're at. And so may I challenge you, as you get going on your day this upcoming week, begin this pattern of just giving yourself to him. Take a minute. Don't look at the cell phone first. <laughs> That's just a lethal mistake to your day. Okay? 
Begin with God, even if it's just a minute. Think of his mercies. Think of Jesus, what he's done, who he is, what he said. And just, Lord, I'm, I'm giving myself to you today, God. Then you can go and look at your emails and find out how many people love you and how they want to wreck your day and all those sort of things, you know. Begin with God. Friends, I'm totally serious. If you really want transformation, it comes from dwelling upon his mercies and dedicating yourself to his purposes. Pastor Kirby John Caldwell said this, quote, there are two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. You were born to worship him. Please, don't waste your life. I don't care what your past is, your present struggles, you just give yourself to God as you are fully to him. You see, it's loving God and his ways that moves us to worship him with our lives, and that is what we are created for. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage of scripture. And God, I would just ask that you would take our lives, all of us, all that we are, all that we have, and help us to see ourselves as God-glorifying, Christ-honoring people, living in your strength and by your spirit. And for those who have come here today who have never trusted in Jesus, would they simply turn from self and sin and see the loveliness of a Savior that dies for them and rose again, that they might have true spiritual life and simply pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I trust in Jesus today. And God, be glorified in our lives. Shape us, mold us, fashion us. Transform us. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we have the distinct pleasure of having Steve Anthony with us. So Steve, I'm going to invite you up to the stage. Steve and Polly, Polly's not able to be with us, have been serving the Lord faithfully for many years, both in Greece and here in the States, mobilizing uh, folks and for short-term missions. And we are so glad to have you with us. We've asked if Steve would maybe just uh, speak with us for just a minute. And we're so glad to have you here, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. Well, this is a missions moment, so I should give lots of great news about missions and statistics and what Campus Crusade is doing, but I, I feel led to share something a little more personal. I will say this about missions. The world is a mess, but God's plans and purposes will not be thwarted by everything going on. Um, having said that, I'll, Grant and I talked earlier this week, and I was struck by uh, him leading you through this Roman study and where I am in a season of life that kind of ties directly into that. So I'm going to share a little more personally. Uh, information on our work, our particular ministry, is out at the info table there, and I'd be glad to talk with you personally as well. But I need to confess to you that God has me relearning some of the basics of my faith. And for a person who's been a missionary for 24 years and a Christian for 32 years, that's hard to admit. But... Um, that's where I find myself. Uh, I, I serve God faithfully with all my heart, I believe. And then he's revealing to me that I'm dutiful. I'm, I'm serving him in the way I know best. But he showed me um, that even though he has been very faithful to provide for me all these years, uh, in some ways, financially, through fellowship. It's been a great supporter of our ministry work and some of you individually, and we greatly appreciate that. He's provided for us health-wise and many other ways. 
And yet, um, I've been very grateful for that, but I've also at times pleaded with him for those needs. And when he's met them, I've said, thanks, I got it from here. And that was my mistake. And so I want to share with you from Jeremiah a verse that I've been kind of camping on for uh, some time. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for calamity, and to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And that's exactly what I've been doing. I, I trust God has a plan for my life. He's uh, helped us avoid many calamities. And, uh, and I have prayed to him out of my need. And what I hadn't been doing is reading further where it says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And what I hear Grant teaching now is, it, you know, we, we need to be all in. And the mistake I made is thinking that all in meant more effort. And so I have strived to serve him more. But what he's saying is just strive to know me more, to seek me more. And um, that's kind of where I am in life. So I just wanted to share that with you because, uh, well, that's where I am. And uh, number two, I don't think I'm alone. And I just wanted to encourage us all not to grow weary in striving to serve him more, but to truly seek him. In Romans passage, it says we need to present ourselves. And all we need to do is show up and say, Lord, here I am. Transformation is on him. He's responsible for that. And that's a great relief to me because I know I can't transform myself. So I just share that with you and encourage you as, Lane, as uh, Grant leads us through this study uh, that we, we seek him, that we don't see transformation as something more we need to do. It's just a, an attitude. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. Hey, we want to pray with you. Can we do that? Yep. All right. That's right. Lord, we want to thank you for Steve and Paulie Anthony. What a lovely couple. And they have served you faithfully overseas in Greece for 12 years, here in the States, mobilizing people to experience short-term missions to bring the gospel to a world in need. And I thank you that they are the real deal. They're vessels fit for honorable use. They're transparent, and we see true heart work that you're doing in their lives and through their ministry. And so I commit them to your care, and we ask, Lord, that you provide for their every need. May we as a church and individuals support them financially, encourage them, and Lord, we pray that you might continue to bear much fruit through their lives. We thank you for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother.